Congressional lawmakers have been weighing legislation in committee that seeks to further regulate pharmacy benefit managers. But new analysis finds that if any of these bills are passed, they may only have a modest impact or could potentially have the opposite of its intended effect. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. It's Monday, October 23rd. Thanks so much for joining us. Pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs, are companies that administer prescription drug insurance benefits, negotiate prices with drug makers and pharmacies, establish drug formularies and pharmacy networks, and process drug claims. PBMs have been in the spotlight recently as they face criticism for how they earn a profit and conduct business, which is partly why Congress has taken an interest in reining them in. On today's episode, we listen to my conversation with Matthew Fiedler. He's the Joseph A. Peckman Senior Fellow in Economic Studies at the Brookings Institution and Senior Fellow with the Brookings Schaefer Initiative on Health Policy. He and a team of analysts at Brookings examined the bills being considered on Capitol Hill and their potential impact on drug prices. As a note to listeners, Matthew and I spoke earlier this month as the House was in upheaval following the passage of a short-term spending bill that avoided a government shutdown until November and led to California Republican Representative Kevin McCarthy's removal as Speaker of the House, which we refer to briefly. Now, here's our conversation. Pharmacy benefit managers are facing scrutiny from state and federal lawmakers as well as regulators. And so how did we get to this moment? And I ask because PBMs are nothing new. They've been around since the 1960s, albeit they look very different from the PBMs of today. But they've otherwise kind of flown under the radar. So how did they land in the spotlight today? I think it's an interesting question exactly where this debate came from, but I think there are probably a few different things that are coming together. One thing that's very clear is that the pharmaceutical manufacturers have decided that they really want to be talking about pharmacy benefit managers um, right now. I mean, I, I don't know what your internet feeds look like, but the number of PBM ads I am getting um, these days from uh, pharma, the sort of pharmaceutical manufacturer uh, group is very large. So I think that's part of what's going on is that the pharmaceutical industry wanted to have this conversation and they have some ability to make that conversation happen. I think another big thing that's happening is, you know, consumers are generally um, are often unhappy with their insurance benefits. Um, and they're often unhappy with you know, with the out-of-pocket costs they're asked to bear, and that's true for sort of non-drug services, but it's also true for prescription drugs. And since, you know, the PBM together with the insurer is responsible for determining what consumers pay, you know, I think that very naturally leads to a conversation about whether the PBM market is working the way it should. The debate over PBMs has been percolating for a while, but really came to a head, it feels, this year. And we've seen this in the multiple bills that have been drawn up in congressional committees to really further regulate PBMs at the federal level. Now, it's not exactly clear when these bills will become available for a vote, um, but broadly, what's in these bills? So I think you can think of these bills as taking a couple of broad approaches, and they're all a little bit different. There are multiple bills, both in the House and the Senate, because sort of jurisdiction over healthcare is split among multiple committees. 
But one set of proposals is really focused on increasing transparency. So, and it's focused particularly on cases where an employer plan, and particularly a self-insured employer plan, is contracting with a PBM or contracting with an insurer that's also a PBM to administer its drug benefit. And it's focused on helping, in principle at least, helping that employer better understand the sort of nature of its drug coverage and how the PBM is being compensated. So additional information on you know, utilization under the plan, what the gross prices are under the plan, what the net prices are under the plan, you know, what rebates are being retained by the PBM and so on and so forth. So I think that's one set of strategies that's really focused on increasing transparency. And again, particularly, I think, increasing transparency for employers. There's another set of proposals that, and again, there are a lot of different variants here, but are really focused on directly regulating the types of contractual arrangements that PBMs can have. So for example, today when a PBM um, negotiates a discount with a pharmaceutical manufacturer and receives a rebate from the manufacturer to effectuate that discount, the PBM sometimes retains a portion of that rebate. And so some of the proposals under consideration would say that the PBM can't retain that rebate. It has to pass that through to the ultimate plan sponsor you know, self-insured employer or what have you. Um, there's a similar set of proposals that would regulate what's called spread pricing with pharmacies, where the price that the PBM charges the plan for a prescription differs from the price that the PBM ultimately pays to the pharmacy for that prescription. So these are the sort of two, I think, broad approaches. There's this set of transparency proposals, and then there's this set of proposals that sort of is more directly regulating how PBMs operate and how they contract. Yeah, let's break those down just a little bit. A healthcare price transparency bill did recently make its way out of committee, but it was pulled from a House floor vote last month, you know, due to the ongoing fight over a broader government spending bill and the threat of a government shutdown. Uh, We averted that, at least temporarily, but that bill, if passed, as you mentioned, would require PBMs to give employers detailed data on prescription drug spending, including drug acquisition costs and rebate information. How effective would a bill like this be if it's ultimately passed? So my suspicion is it would probably help at the margin. It would help employers assess, you know, how does the terms I'm getting from my PBM compare to, you know, what other employers are getting from their PBM and therefore help employers figure out what are the cases where I could be pushing for a little better deal or where I should be shopping around to look for another PBM that might offer me slightly better terms. And so I think both of those things can probably help a little bit at the margin. I think the challenge is that to the extent that employers are paying more than they should for PBM services, and I think they probably are, um, a big reason for that is just that the PBM market is not very competitive. You basically have three big firms that control about 80% of the market. And you know that's a situation where it's not that the employers don't know that they're being taken to the cleaners. It's just that they don't have a whole lot of great alternatives. Um, and so that in, in that type of environment, the room to save money just through greater transparency, it's not zero, but it's, you know, it's probably not going to solve the problem. 
Now, another bill, as you mentioned just a moment ago, seeks to ban so-called spread pricing and eliminate rebates. And the analysis you worked on with your colleagues at Brookings found that those changes could potentially have the opposite of its intended effect if they're put into place. Could you explain just a little bit more about that? Yeah, so let's take the specific example of rebates. So, right, these proposals that would require PBMs to pass through any rebate they negotiate with a manufacturer onto the ultimate plan sponsor, you know, let's say an employer um, in this case. So I think sometimes the way these proposals get talked about is, you know, the PBMs retaining the rebate right now. And so if the PBM were required to pass um, that rebate through, that's a savings to the employer. And if nothing else about the PBM's relationship with the employer changed when the PBM was required to pass the rebate through, that'd be true. I think you know the, the reasoning we laid out in the piece is that we think it's very unlikely that everything else about the PBM's contract with the employer um, stays the same when the PBM is required to pass that rebate through. In particular, our suspicion is that the PBM will will shift towards trying to negotiate a higher administrative fee uh, with the employer so that it's compensated sort of directly in terms of that administrative fee rather than through the retained rebate. And you might think, well, you know, can't the employer just tell the PBM to go jump in a lake? But the reality is, if they're now getting the rebate, their cost of sort of the services the PBM is offering them is lower than it used to be. And the PBM's benefit from having this relationship is now smaller than it used to be. And so both of those factors come together to suggest that it's it's pretty likely the PBM is going to be able to negotiate that higher administrative fee to make up for the rebate that it now has to pass on. You know, if that was all that would happen, that's a story where just nothing happens when you acquire um, the rebate to be passed through. I think the other question is whether this has effects on underlying drug spending. So you could think that when the PBM is allowed to retain part of the rebate, then it's going to negotiate really hard for larger rebates with the manufacturers. Um, And that if the PBM now has to pass that rebate through, it might not negotiate quite as hard anymore because it just doesn't have the same skin in the game that it had before. Um, You can tell stories that will go in the other direction. I mean, I think there are often concerns that PBMs may be um, preferring drugs with particularly high rebates rather than the drugs with the lowest net prices because they get to retain part of the rebate. Um, and so that's a story where, you know, requiring PBMs to pass through rebates um, could actually reduce underlying drug spending. So I think whether, you know, I don't have conviction on whether this type of proposal would increase um, underlying drug spending or reduce it. But my suspicion, if you force me to bet, is probably that requiring rebate pass through would increase underlying drug spending Um, because this sort of effect that the PBM no longer has quite as much incentive to negotiate for lower prices, you know, would dominate. I want to revisit a point that you made just a moment ago, that being that the PBM market is highly concentrated. Um, Three PBMs, CVS Health's Caremark, Cigna's Express Scripts, and United Health Group's OptumRx really dominate the PBM market to the tune of a collective 79 or 80% market share. Is there a scenario where you could see regulators break up this concentration and would it really do anything if, and of course that's a big if, if that were to happen? So I have difficulty envisioning actually 
breaking up the existing PBMs. It, it, you know, I won't rule it out. Um, you know, antitrust enforcement has gotten a little bit more aggressive than it has been in past years, but I, I, I see that as a pretty unlikely scenario. I do think there may actually be a sort of in over the medium run here, a trend toward less concentration in the PBM market, just because, you know, as we've seen the PBMs all go in in-house and insurers. So, right, like CVS, Caremark, which used to be independent, is now, you know, combined with Aetna, um, and Express Scripts is now combined with Cigna. You know, I think we are seeing many other insurers who historically haven't had their own PBMs or haven't had as robust PBM operations internally try to build out their internal capabilities because they don't want to be dependent on one of their insurance market competitors for those PBM services. So I think it's possible that over time, what we will see is a somewhat less concentrated PBM market purely because other insurers are deciding they're going to build their own capabilities. Now, like the insurance market is not overwhelmingly competitive either, but it is more competitive um, and less concentrated than the PBM market. And so, you know, we may end up in that direction over time. You know, in terms of what the consequences of, you know, less concentration in the PBM market are, I think there, there are pros and cons to that. So I think the pro of a less concentrated PBM market is that you know, um, employers or insurers who, or what have you, who are looking for PBM services have a little more leverage and they can probably squeeze those PBM profits and get a slightly better deal. Um, I think the potential downside to think about is when the PBM market is less concentrated, they may have somewhat less leverage vis-a-vis um, -vis the manufacturers. And so that could lead to somewhat higher prices. So how those two um, effects net out, I think is, is very much an open question from my perspective. Let's talk about drug spending, because as you know, it's quite high. And I'm curious, what outside of just regulating PBMs could actually bring down drug spending, since it's not just PBMs dictating these prices? Right. So, I mean, one of the things that we, we say in the piece is, you know, if you look at total drug spending, PBM profits are, you know, we can debate the exact numbers, but like something like 4% of the pie. and so you know, those profits are probably higher than they need to be. And it, that comes back to the fact that this is a pretty concentrated market. But it also says squeezing PBM profits, there are real limits to how much you can reduce prices. And so ultimately, if you want to reduce how much we're spending on drugs, the primary lever you're going to need to pull um, is you know, our levers that that can reduce the underlying prices being received by manufacturers. Now that that like that presents trade-offs, right? In the context of the um, Inflation Reduction Act negotiations um, in Medicare, you know we've we've had a robust debate about you know this saves the federal government money, but does it reduce the incentives to develop new drugs? And that's a real trade-off, and a trade-off policymakers need to think about. Um, so people can have different views on whether we actually want to reduce drug spending, but if we do want to substantially reduce drug spending. This is ultimately going to be have to have to principally be a conversation about the manufacturers, not about the PBMs. What will you be watching for in the coming weeks or even months when it comes to the PBM legislation being debated on Capitol Hill? So, I mean, I think there's an extent to which the fate of this legislation is going to probably be determined in large part by factors outside of the healthcare sphere. Obviously, the House is um, in the midst of upheaval with former Speaker McCarthy having stepped down and, and the House trying to figure out who its new speaker is going to be. 
you know, I think my suspicion is still that there will eventually be a speaker and there will be some end of year legislation and some sort of healthcare package that probably at least includes some of the PBM transparency proposals that have been discussed um, this year um, travel along along with that end of year package. But, uh, you know, at the moment, um, there's a lot of uncertainty on Capitol Hill. And so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's always hard to make predictions, but I think it's particularly hard at the moment. That was Matthew Fiedler, senior fellow with the Brookings Institution Schaefer Initiative on Health Policy. He joined me to talk about his recent analysis of congressional bills that seek to further regulate pharmacy benefit managers and the potential impact of those bills if they ultimately become law. This is Just Healthcare Daily. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the program. We'll be back with healthcare business and policy news updates tomorrow, as always, in 10 minutes or less. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news at gisthealthcare.com. You can also get these insights emailed directly to your inbox when you subscribe to our newsletter, The Weekly Gist. The Gist Healthcare Daily Podcast is an independent production of Gist Healthcare, a Kaufman Hall company.